What is going on, Disney and folklore fans? My name is John Solo, and this is Messed Up Origins, the show where I explore the horrifying history that your favorite fairy tales came from. Some say I ruin said fairy tales in the process, others say I make them better. All I really care about is you walking away from this feeling educated, entertained, and a little bit enlightened. Now this is a very special episode of Messed Up Origins, because today we're revisiting The Princess and the Frog, a Disney movie that I covered more than four years ago in the early days of the show, when my research process wasn't quite as comprehensive as it is nowadays. I compared it to the Grimm Brothers version of the story, which is definitely messed up and the earliest version ever published, but there are several other cultures with their own even more messed up renditions that I can't believe I didn't bother to mention. The movie also leans heavily into voodoo culture with its antagonist, Dr. Facilier, being inspired by Baron Samedi. In this episode, we're specifically focused on what inspired the plot of Princess and the Frog, where the earliest stories about frog princes came from, and most importantly, the grotesque ways that these poor maidens had to break the curse before the introduction of the magical princess kiss. No, I'm sorry to say that none of the stories you're going to hear today end as romantically as the one that Tiana hears in the movie. Pretty much all of them are either violent or depressing. At this point, you should be used to that though, right? Either way, you might want to brace yourself for the messed up origins of Princess and the Frog. Chapter 1. The Princess and the Frog so to those who haven't seen Princess and the Frog in a while, or have never seen it, let's do a quickie review of the plot, because there is a lot going on here. The movie follows a waitress named Tiana, who spends just about every waking second working so she can save up money to buy her own restaurant and fulfill the lifelong dream of her dead father. She does end up meeting her goal and makes an offer on a space, but she's outbid at the last minute and starts to question if all this hard work was for nothing. Enter the Frog Prince. He tells Tiana that if she gives him a kiss and breaks the curse put on him by the voodoo shaman, Dr. Facilier, that'll give her all the money she wants for her restaurant. But things don't go as planned. Because Tiana's not a real princess, only dressed like one, she was turned into a frog, forcing her to join the helplessly spoiled Prince Naveen in his quest to break the curse and become human. A pretty clever reversal of the usual fairy tale, right? Well, it turns out we can't give Disney all the credit for that one. While they certainly took inspiration from the frog prince stories that many of us heard growing up, and Louisiana culture, of course, the story's framework was taken from a 2002 novel called The Frog Princess by E.D. Baker. In that novel, a princess named Emma kisses a frog named Eadric to try and break the curse placed on him by an evil witch. But just like Tiana, she turns into a frog herself, and the duo sets out to find a good witch, Emma's aunt Christina, who can tell them how to change back. Also like Tiana and Naveen, Emma and Eadric are accompanied by a flying critter and a reptile. Only in their case, it's a bat and snake instead of a firefly and alligator. And similar to how Tiana and Naveen's adventure begins when they're pursued off of Charlotte's property by her dog, Emma and Eadric are chased by a dog through the entirety of their story. That's just about where those similarities end, but we can't forget about the centuries-old folklore that Baker put a twist on with her novel and may have inspired a few key details in The Princess and the Frog. Chapter 2, The Frog Prince So it turns out people have been enjoying stories about princes being turned into frogs for a really long time. So long, in fact, that the creation of these tales goes beyond the revolutionary practice of writing things down. As a result, it's impossible to say when exactly the earliest variant of the story was told. But we do know that the earliest published rendition can be traced to Germany in 1812. The Grimm brothers, Jacob and Wilhelm, collected the story from the Wilde family living in Castle Germany in 1810. At that point, they had titled it The Princess and the Enchanted Prince, but by the 1812 publication, it was changed to The Frog King. 
then changed again in 1857 to the Frog Prince. As far as I can tell, their version provided the outline for the variants found in Ireland, Scotland, Denmark, and several other countries which were all published after. Now to clarify, just because one story was collected and published after another one doesn't always mean it's not as old. In this case though, I'd be willing to bet that the popularity of the Grimm Brothers collection led to a few spin-offs in other countries. Anyway, let's get into their story, shall we? It starts by introducing us to a beautiful young princess whose favorite way to pass time on hot summer days is going down to the well where it's cool and playing catch with her golden ball. One day she has a case of the Butterfingers and drops the ball in the well and as she watches it disappear into the darkness, she begins to sob uncontrollably. At that moment, a frog pops his head out of the water to figure out what the commotion's about and when the princess tells him her situation, he offers to retrieve the ball for her if she does the following. Love me and accept me as a companion and playmate and let me sit next to you at your table and eat from your golden plate and drink from your cup and sleep in your bed. If you promise this to me, then I'll dive down and bring your golden ball back to you. Now you may not have realized this at first, but this setup is awfully similar to Princess and the Frog. In both cases, the heroine loses her grip on what she held most dear and at her lowest moment, a frog shows up to offer a solution. Also in both cases, the princess is disgusted by the frog, though I do love that Charlotte was all about kissing one if it was in the name of true love. As grossed out as our princess is though, it barely takes a moment of pondering the proposal for her to agree because it's a frog. What's he gonna do if she lies? Shoot slime at her? It is not slime, it is mucus. Well, guess what? The princess was lying. And as soon as the frog emerged with the ball, she grabbed it and ran straight home. The next day, the princess is eating dinner with her father and all the people in his court when someone knocks at the door. She politely excuses herself to see who it is and she's shocked to find her frog fiance on the other side. So she slams the door and runs back to the table. Right away, her father can see she's upset and the princess has to explain the ridiculous situation she got herself into. Even more ridiculous is that her father is on the frog side. He's got a good point though. The king tells his daughter that she must honor the promises she makes. So she goes back to the front door and carries the frog to the dinner table. After the most miserable dinner of her life where she had to let the frog eat off the same plate as her, her guest says that he wants to go to bed with her. Again, she starts to whine and complain, but again, her father gives her a lesson in honor. He says, you should not despise someone who helped you in your time of need. So the princess uses two fingers to carry the frog to her bedroom and sets him down in the corner. But after she lays in bed, he hops up to join her and says, I wanna sleep with you. Talk about entitled, right? This dude's actually making Prince Naveen look humble. This is the last straw for the princess who's done letting a frog boss her around. She picks him up like she's gonna place him in bed, but instead throws him at the wall as hard as she can, hopefully killing him. But when he hits the floor, he's no longer a frog, He's a prince. I know, who saw that coming? Turns out that much like Prince Naveen, this prince was cursed by an evil sorcerer with a spell that could only be broken by a princess. He doesn't explain why throwing him at the wall was what broke the curse though, just that a princess had to rescue him from the well. For all we know, she could have literally picked him out of the well and immediately spiked him on the ground like a football to cure him, which would have saved a lot of time. Back to the story, after seeing his true handsome self, the princess agrees to marry the prince. The two spend that night together, and the next morning, a carriage pulled by eight beautiful horses arrives at her castle. Sitting in front is the prince's faithful servant, Heinrich, who's basically the opposite of Prince Naveen's traitorous servant, 
Lawrence. Instead of being a snake in the grass and betraying the prince, Heinrich had three iron bands placed around his heart to keep it from bursting with sadness after his master was cursed. And get a load of this, the story ends with the prince and princess riding the carriage off into the sunset while hearing the distinct sound of those iron bands breaking because Heinrich is so happy to have his master back that his heart is swelling with joy. In fact, some say that his heart grew three sizes that day. Chapter 3, The Curse as I mentioned the first time I covered Princess and the Frog's origins, there are literally dozens of similar stories about princes who were turned to frogs. However, a lot of them were inspired by the version the Grimm brothers collected, so there's quite a bit of overlap when it comes to the main story beats. The one detail that consistently varies from version to version is how the prince's curse is broken, so that's what I want to spend this section talking about. In the movie, the rules to the curse are very clear. Like I told y'all, kissing a princess breaks the spell. Once you became my wife, that made you a princess. But in the story, not so much. The direct quote from the version I just read you is this. He told her how he had been enchanted by a wicked witch and that she alone could have rescued him from the well and that tomorrow they would go together to his kingdom. That's it. It sounds like his fate was connected to that specific princess, but we aren't told if that's because she was a princess or something else about her. Maybe the fact that she was disgusted by frogs was supposed to be an added layer of protection. But wait, she didn't rescue him from the well, did she? She ran away. Unless they count her accepting his proposal as rescuing, but I would say that's pushing it. Even though we can't say for certain what the rules were or why being thrown at the wall was the cure, there are plenty of other versions with even more violent ends. There's one collected from Denmark called The Singing Frog, and for the most part, it's exactly the same as the German version, except the frog sings everything he says. Also, instead of a princess, it's the daughter of a priest, and she's a servant to the king who orders her to do what the frog says, not to teach her a lesson about making promises, but more so out of curiosity. At the end of the story, the frog asks the servant girl to use a needle to poke three holes in his leg and draw three drops of blood. When she does this, he turns into a handsome prince and reveals he's actually the king's son who was bewitched many years ago hence explaining the king's curiosity. Once again, we aren't given a clear explanation for why that was the cure, but given the specificity of the request, I would imagine that it stems from witchcraft. Regardless, our boy is human again and wants to marry the servant girl. There's a plot twist incoming though. The servant girl has a boyfriend. His name is Peter, and since he technically has dibs, the prince has to give him some land in exchange for the servant girl's hand which I'll be honest, would be a pretty sweet deal for Peter. Another version called The Well of the World's End was collected in 1890 by Joseph Jacobs, with variants being traced to both Ireland and Scotland. At the end of this story, the Frog Prince tells us exactly how the curse was broken. He had to get a girl to do his bidding for an entire night, then chop off his head. Yeah, just a little less romantic than a kiss. Funnily enough, while our other heroines would have likely leapt at the opportunity to silence the stupid frog for good, the princess in this story was actually opposed to the idea until he explained to her why she had to do it. Then, after she does the deed, a handsome prince emerges from the frog's corpse, and then she moves into his father's castle with him. Now, so far, we've got a prince who was thrown at a wall, another who needed a blood transfusion, and another who had to have his head cut off. I can't be the only one wondering at this point when kissing was brought into this mess. Well, I'm happy to say that we actually have an answer to that question. In 1888, a short story called Penny Jack was collected from a beggar woman living in, I think I'm saying this right, Britannia, France, and published in a newsletter. 
Considering its source and the obscurity of the story here in the West, I don't think it was necessarily the domino that changed the way that all frog stories written after it would end, but given how unique the story is, I at least wanted to mention it. Because unlike every other story we've talked about today, this one isn't about a frog prince, rather a frog princess, and our unlikely hero, Penny Jack, saves her by kissing her not once, not twice, but three separate times. In the kicker, after every kiss, the frog got more and more hideous. I'm pretty sure the only reason Penny Jack went through with it is because she kept giving him gold as a thank you. So even when there finally is a kiss, it's not even one of true love. Homie is literally being bribed. I guess in that way, Disney's adaptation does stay pretty loyal to the source material. There is no way that Tiana would have kissed that frog if she weren't getting something out of it. And if you don't believe me, just ask her yourself. There is no way in this whole wide world I would ever, 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 I mean never, kiss a frog. See what I mean? Chapter 4, Evangeline. I'm just gonna be honest with you guys, the first time that I watched The Princess and the Frog, I thought that Ray the Firefly and his obsession with Evangeline the Star was super random and kind of stupid. I did think it was pretty cute that when he died at the end of the movie, he joined her in the sky, but just like his friends, I kind of wanted him to shut up about her. Naturally, with me being me, I decided to look into where the seemingly random storyline came from, and it turns out there is some source material to refer to, and it's not what I expected. I thought it would be something like an Aesop fable about a firefly being in love with a star, but actually the inspiration comes from a pretty sad Cajun poem called Evangeline. Written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in 1847, the epic follows a young Acadian woman named Evangeline as she searches for her lover, Gabriel, during the expulsion of the Acadians. For those who don't know, because I was never taught this in my history class, Acadia was a colony of New France located in the northeastern United States. And in 1755, the British decided they wanted that land, so they forcibly relocated over 10,000 Acadians to the 13 colonies, as well as Britain and France with at least 5,000 of them being killed from disease and shipwrecks. The poem doesn't provide the most accurate history of the Acadian expulsion, but it's been celebrated for capturing the emotions and heartbreak that the Acadians endure. But as you would expect at this point in our series, Evangeline the poem's ending is a lot darker than Ray's, and it's not just because he has a light bulb for a butt. Although Ray's death is needlessly caused by Dr. Facilier, Disney softens the blow for us by reuniting him with Evangeline, who I prefer to believe was his little bug wife before she became a star. In the Evangeline poem though, basically the opposite happens. Evangeline does get to reunite with her beloved Gabriel while they're alive, but it's after they've grown old, and Evangeline just happens to find her long lost love among the sick men being treated at the hospital where she's volunteering, and he dies in her arms only a few moments later. What'd I tell ya? Depressing. So let me tell you about another coincidence that's much funnier than Evangeline finding her soulmate on his deathbed. During our research for this episode, we actually found a Korean variant of the Frog Prince that ends with the recently saved prince revealing he's the son of the King of Stars, and the story concludes with him leaving Earth and a new star forming in the sky. After reading that version, I had to look into the movie's development more because it seemed way too coincidental to be random chance, but the writers only cited the Evangeline poem as inspiration, and apparently stars being associated with fireflies as a callback to Timon in Lion King. They're fireflies. Fireflies, they got stuck up in that big bluish black thing. Oh, gee. I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away. Humber, with you, everything's gas. 
so maybe it is just a coincidence, but personally, I would prefer it not to be. Also, for those curious about the Korean version, I'm considering covering it for the third episode of Featured Folklore, but I'll just go ahead and spoil it now. The curse is broken when the frog's new bride cuts him open with scissors. It doesn't get much more romantic than that. I really don't get why Disney didn't take more ideas from this one. Chapter 5, Analysis one aspect of the Frog Prince stories that I find really interesting is their moral, because what is it supposed to be? It's not quite as clear cut like Little Red Riding Hood, who learned the hard way not to talk to strangers, or even Jack, who found out that the only way to get the golden goose is to get off the couch, climb the beanstalk, and face whatever dangers lie ahead. In the Grimm Brothers variant, I think the easy lessons to take out are to think your promises through, honor them when you make them, and don't disregard someone who needs your help because you don't know who they are or what they've been through. My only issue with that takeaway is that unlike Jack and the Beanstalk, the princess didn't fulfill her promise voluntarily. She had to be dragged every step of the way, she bailed out as soon as she could sneakily dispose of the frog, then she got to reap the benefits, and that's the case with every other version as well. You could argue that the princess's attitude doesn't really matter considering that she made it to the finish line and that was enough for her to get her happy ending, but in real life, you're not always gonna have someone like the king watching over you to make sure that you do the right thing. So if you are going to do something difficult, something that forces you to adapt and meet some of your potential, make sure that you don't resent that thing before you commit to it, because the likelihood of it ever turning into a handsome prince is pretty slim. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo and don't forget, John shot first.